When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is A Million Other Choices, and I am your host, Kim. I have to confess that the case that I'm bringing you today, I actually didn't mean to be doing it. I had a particular case in mind, um, so I started, you know, Googling, looking things up, and then kind of into it, I realized, "Mm, this isn't the story that I was thinking of, but it's still an interesting story, and I'm here anyways, so I'm going to continue to research it. So I actually researched the wrong story, but not to worry. I think that all stories are worth telling and hearing, and we're going to get to the one that I meant to research another week. This is the murder of Dillian Hempel. Dillian was born in Drumheller to her mom, Sharon Scogman Doran, in 1966. No word on her dad, but again, he's either decided purposely to remain out of the spotlight, uh, was deceased at the time of these events, or was not in the picture. From news footage from the time, which was a number of years ago now, I'm pretty sure I could make a guess that he was alive at the time and just wasn't a fan of the spotlight, which is always fair. Dillian was the middle child in a family of five, with older sister Jillian and younger brother Dave. And from an early, very early age, her family nicknamed her Tink for Tinkerbell for a variety of reasons, from her busy fluttering about nature to her, her personal charms. She was an active girl, loving dirt bikes and golf, very outgoing, friendly, down-to-earth, and full of laughter and fun. She moved in her early 20s to Calgary, and her mom said of Dillian, when you meet her, you fall in love with her. And when she was about 24, she was in a wedding party and was paired up to the groom's 19-year-old brother, Troy Hempel, and the two had an immediate spark and connection, and within a few months, they were living together, and within a few months more, they were married. They got married in the summer of 1992, and Troy was working as a baggage handler at the Calgary airport and worked nights, but they had managed to save their pennies and buy a house that they had built for them in, in Dalroy, which is about 28 kilometers northeast of downtown Calgary. Dalroy is a hamlet, a mostly farming community, small town, but a fairly quick commute into the city. So that summer she was 26 and he was 22. They had their dream home. They were newlyweds, heavily in love, and had two lovely Rottweilers that were their babies. Again, what could possibly go wrong? Once they had gotten settled into their new home, Dillian got a job at Confetti's Bar and Grill in the Marlboro Mall in the northeast end of Calgary. And on November 13, 1992, she worked her very first shift. She had a pretty quick lesson in sexual harassing customers, which is still a thing for waitresses the world over. 
but at least the doorman had a good attitude about it. And rather than brushing her off as too sensitive or something, they took care of those customers for her. So she left with her first shift feeling pretty positive about her new job. Three nights later, she worked her second shift. And again, she was nervous about one of the customers. So at the end of her shift, she asked one of the doormen to walk her to her car. And again, he took her seriously and was really good about it. He walked her to her 1988 Blue Dodge Colt and waited until she was in the car, had checked the back seat, and then waved at her as she drove away. That night, when Troy was getting near the end of his own shift at the airport, he called the house and Delene didn't answer, so he figured that she might have got held up talking to someone or closing out her till. And this was around 3 a.m. At 4 a.m., he was getting ready to come home, so he called her again and still no answer, so he called the bar, but everybody had gone already. So he drove the route that she would have taken home, like maybe she had car trouble or something, and he found her car actually near an intersection off of Highway 1, but there was no Deline. The frightening part for Troy was that Deline's car was in a ditch with the driver's door open. Her purse was still there, including her cash tips that she'd gotten that night, but the car keys were missing, and of course Deline was nowhere to be found. There was no sign that she had skid or lost control. The tires were all okay. So Troy wasted no time in calling the police out and they came out right away and knew off the bat that something was wrong. If she had decided she needed a break from her life, usually you would take your purse with you or at the very least your tip money. Obviously right off the bat, Troy was considered as a suspect, but was ruled out very early on. However, public opinion tended to follow him around the small town of speculation that perhaps they weren't as happy as people thought but he was very cooperative with the investigation and let the officers search whatever they wanted and took and passed a polygraph test. There was no physical evidence at the scene to go off of and nothing of any real note to point to foul play other than the creepy circumstances. But Troy, her sister Jillian and mum Susan all knew that Deline, if she could, even if she had decided to run away, would have contacted someone. Deline had a lot of emotional support in her life and would have reached out to talk to someone about what she was feeling. And if she had gotten injured or sick, she was close enough to like a public area that somebody would have come across her. And all of the surrounding farmer's fields were searched by teams in the days following her disappearance. And time just kind of ticked by for the family who were desperate to find her. Jillian participated in the searches and she was the voice for the family, talking to the media, making sure Jillian's story was in the public. Troy was to the point of almost being suicidal. I think that when there is a missing person in your family, you spend your waking hours, not which would be most of your hours, I can't imagine trying to sleep, imagining all of the best and worst case scenarios in your head and even the best case that she ran off and is safe is still heartbreaking she's still not in, had any contact with her loved ones and that would just break my heart as well and seeing pictures of Troy at the time he's so young it just strikes me as particularly traumatic and then to be suspected by your community on top of it it's, the whole thing's just awful Lots of tips came in, but nothing panned out. Most of the tips pointed to her running away, but the police were pretty sure this one smelled like foul play, but they didn't want to dash the family's hopes, and they had an obligation to look into every tip, no matter how ridiculous it sounded. And that is why I feel that if you have a legitimate tip on a case, take it to the police, but if you're just kind of making up theories for them, then just don't. It wastes their time to track down a lead that becomes a rabbit hole. 
But Jeleen was willing to take those tips, the ones where someone had a dream about Deline or whatever. She was willing to free up the police time for quality tips, and she would work on the less credible ones. It at least kept her mind busy. And then as the snow started to melt, a young couple out on their morning walk on April 9, 1993, looked over to the bushes and trees that lined their path and noticed a hand sticking out of a shallow grave. Deline's body was found shot twice behind her ear in a shallow grave, in a lightly wooded area near an abandoned railway line. She was identified by dental records and the police believe she was killed at the time of her disappearance and not held anywhere because the ground would have been frozen in November, making digging a grave very difficult. So that's why it had been a shallow grave. And when the snow had melted, it revealed the morbid secret that was underneath. There is some debate, it seems, over Deline's state of dress. In the most recent coverage, which comes from Crime Beat, which is done by Global, she was found in her work clothes. But court testimony and coverage at the time leads me to believe she was actually found nude. And this is kind of important, and we're going to come back to some of these details later. Her funeral was held on April 17th, and her family was completely distraught, and Troy was what I would describe as broken, and just like a walking zombie, numb of emotions, and really only staying in this world for the sake of his and Deline's two dogs. Doug Morrison was brought in as the lead investigator, the same Doug Morrison that investigated Lucy Turmel's murder in Banff. Now, because the police believed that Deline had encountered foul play before her body was found, they already had been working on that angle that she hadn't disappeared of her own accord. So they had spent the last few months interviewing every single customer at Confetti's Bar that they could track down that was there on November 16th between noon and the end of Deline's shift that night, like hundreds of people. And there was one particular nursing student at U of A that had been seated in Dillian's section that night and noticed this guy, a rather normal looking guy, but he was hitting on Dillian and being rather persistent about it. Well, not rather persistent, very persistent. So she had helped the police with a composite sketch. And because they didn't have a body at that time, they didn't want to release the sketch to the public and get inundated with calls that that looks like my ex-boyfriend or that looks like my landlord that I hate or whatever. So instead they released it within the police departments around the area and the RCMP detachments. And a couple of months into the investigation and before Deline's body had been found, one RCMP highway patrol officer sees the sketch on one of the posting boards and knows right away who this guy is. He is very well acquainted with this guy and has had multiple run-ins with him. And that's Stephen Roy Burns from Cheadle. Cheadle is another small rural town very close to Delroy and runs along that abandoned railway track near where Deline's body was found. Cheadle is also a community of only about 17 homes. Stephen had had a criminal past going back to 1980 with trafficking narcotics, possession of stolen property, escape in custody and robbery charges, but nothing particularly violent. So the police took the sketch to the woman that had seen the guy at the bar that night on that was hitting on Deline, and she said, for sure, that's the guy. Now, they didn't have any physical evidence, but police here in Calgary had heard about this new investigative technique that it had been used in some drug trafficking case and thought it might be useful in this case. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And right around the time they were thinking all of this, an old truck with a few guys putting up fence posts in the area broke down right in front of Stephen Burns' backyard mechanic shop, and they quickly got to chatting. They just did this fence thing to look legit, but they were actually part of a crime organization. Yes, run by none other than Mr. Big. This was actually the first Mr. Big operation in Calgary on a murder case. Stephen Burns was born on Halloween 1963 and grew up in an interesting family to say the least, with his older brother Jim and sister Elaine. All three kids were subjected to regular beatings by their alcoholic father, left with little to no supervision. Stephen developed a level of street smarts by a very tender age, and he was encouraged to steal things and once said, up until I was 20 years old, I actually believed if I stole something I really owned it. Stephen also grew up to have an insatiable thirst for money and would do anything for a dollar, including selling sex at the age of eight to a brewery maintenance man, which he would do for spare change. He molested his younger sister, something that she grew up thinking was normal in all families for brothers to do to their sisters. Now, this was when he was only 10 years old, something he had learnt from older family members who did the same to him. Now, before you get feeling bad for this poor fellow, he also stated once about how greedy and selfish he was. Quote, it's like I have a disease for greed that I cannot control. It doesn't matter how much I have. It always makes me want more. End quote. Stephen wound up leaving home at 15 and worked as a courier, but did male escort work on the side. In 1989, he met a woman named Helene, who was a clerk at a local Safeway. She had inherited $150,000 a year later, and they moved together to Cheadle. Stephen used what he considered his newfound wealth to buy $50,000 worth of tools and set up his mechanic shop in this backyard, where he would fix up and sell used cars to suckers, I mean people. Helene was also somewhat befriended by Stephen's new friends in their organization. There isn't any solid charges ever laid against her, but some of her actions are a bit questionable during the investigation. She did tell the undercover officers that she knew that Stephen had killed Deline, but that he would kill and bury her if, if she ever crossed him. He told her that if she was ever asked by the cops, not realizing that she was actually talking to cops, that she was with him the night at Confetti's and that they left early and knew nothing about nothing. One of the problems during this sting operation was that Burns bragged a lot and often told some fairy tales. 
He bragged that he was known in town as Jesse because he had robbed so many banks. He bragged about sex workers he had slept with and two young girls in the area that he regularly had sex with. And that when he was a kid, he would watch his brother Jim have sex with his girlfriend. He said that the reason that he had killed Deline, in fact, was because she knew too much about these robberies. In his version of the story that he had happily chatted about with two undercover officers, that him and another guy who later became known as his best friend, Dwayne Best, had done a botched robbery that was supposed to just be a grab and run, but hadn't worked out. And Dillian knew about it and they worried she would tell on them. So Stephen had ordered Dwayne to kill her. But Dwayne had only kind of shot her in the face a bit and didn't kill her, so he shot her in the back of the head and buried her nude in a shallow grave. He even offered one of the officers $75 to kill his wife, Helene, by running her over with a car so he could get all of the inheritance she was going to get once she killed her father, which he was actively trying to get her to do. So it was hard to know what to believe with him because he was pretty desperate to be this big king in this group of thieves, and he bragged all the time. But there were a couple of things that he did know that he couldn't have known, like that Delene had a duffel bag in her car and was found in a shallow grave, and the fact that she was nude. That part wasn't released. It also wasn't released at the time that she had died from two gunshot wounds to the back of the head. What he said was he should have used a meat grinder to get rid of her body. Quote, the ground was frozen enough that I couldn't dig deep enough and the fucking coyotes got to her. And the guy even bragged that the cops didn't think that he was their guy, but but between you and me, I'm fucking dirty. I whacked her. Mr. Big, who actually went by the fictitious name Jake, wanted to ensure that if he was going to become a full-time member of this group, that there wasn't anything outstanding on him that police could find. So he took them out to the place where Deline had been buried and tried to show them where he had buried her clothes, but he couldn't remember. Police searched that area for weeks looking for the spot, but it has actually never been found. After he was arrested on his confession about Deline's murder, they did some searches and found a couple of things that they used as evidence. There was a key found in Deline's car that fit a lock at the office that he rented for his shop. A hair strand similar to Deline's in his van and a fiber that matched one of the socks that she was wearing. But things got interesting after his arrest and while he was in jail awaiting trial. Seems Stephen had trouble keeping his mouth shut about a lot of things and wasn't going to go down for murder very easily. He called his sister Elaine and admitted to raping her as a child and bitched about the media saying, my name is already ruined, who's going to buy a car for me? But on a good note, if he beat the charges, he would launch a multi-million dollar lawsuit against the RCMP. Then he called his dad and told him that if he didn't get Helene to come and visit him, he was going to the police to have her charged with conspiracy to commit murder over her father's inheritance. He told a cellmate that I killed one bitch in Calgary and raped her. And when a bitch leads you on like that, she deserves what she gets. Then he finally got a letter through to his wife, Helene. Well, the letter probably didn't get to her, but it got to the prosecutor's office. In the letter, he told Helene to befriend his brother, Jim, and offer him $10,000 to murder Dwayne Best, who was, of course, at this time denying that he had anything to do with any botched robbery or murder and was going to be testifying against Stephen. Then when that was done, he said he, she needed to get a hundred hits of LSD and spike a bottle of rye. And when you and Jim are in the house for the night, let him drink it. He will drink it in no time at all. And then he will OD. 
25 hits of acid would do the job, but 100 will guarantee it. And then when he's dead, get a freezer and put Jim in it, lock it, leave it plugged in, throw away the key, and then get rid of it. When hearing this testimony, Jim stormed out of the courtroom and let the door slam behind him. He wrote another 10-page letter to his father telling him to tell the jury that Jim had confessed to him that he had killed Deline. At the trial in 1994, Dwayne Best testified against the man that he had become friends with in 1992 after he bought a car from him, the same man that he had rode dirt bikes with and had dinner parties with their wives. Stephen had told the undercover officers that Dwayne knew Dillene and was friendly with her and that the two of them had followed her in Stephen's van that night and stopped her before pulling her out of the car and shooting her. But Dwayne testified that he had never met Dillene and only ever saw her that night and noticed Stephen and her friend Robin talking to her. Dwayne admitted to being at the bar with Robin and Stephen that night, but that he usually left the table to cruise the bar. And Dwayne and Stephen had left the bar together around 3 a.m. and he had let his truck warm up a bit before driving off and saw Stephen in his van also sitting warming it up. Stephen was still sitting there when he drove away. Best said that he was at home asleep with his girlfriend at the time Dillian was shot and killed. Dwayne, who worked as an insurance salesman, admitted that the pair had planned an armed robbery together in Millerville, but he had backed out when the plan included kidnapping the bank manager. During a break in the court proceedings, as he was being escorted out, he hissed under his breath to Dwayne that he'd better change his story. But he said it loud enough that the prison services constable, Ajit Singh, heard it. Another surprise for Stephen was that his side girlfriend, Louise Carrier, that he had met in June 1993 without Helene's knowing, was said to testify that he had told her that she needed to tell them that she was with him on the early morning hours of November 17, 1992. She had come to visit him at the remand center when he was being held there after his arrest and had asked him flat out if he did it, and he said he did. He said for reasons that were a long story and that he would tell her later. He told her the only reason he was being nice to his wife was that he didn't want her to sell all his stuff while he was in there, and once her testi testimony set him free, they would get married and move away. Only instead of lying under oath, she told the court what he had actually said. Throughout the proceedings, when they would play snippets of the taped undercover conversations, he would snicker at the jokes that he had made, like he was reminiscing or something. The defense's only tactic was to claim that Stephen was so unlikable and such a liar and bragger and just all-around despicable character that nothing he said could be believed, including his confession, or confessions, plural. And on November 11th, 1994, he was convicted of the first-degree murder of 26-year-old Deline Hempel. Deline's mom, Susan, hugged the defense attorney, Alan Hepner, for not trashing Deline's character throughout the trial, saying he played it fair, and I think he really cared about Deline. Deline said, Tinker was a real person with a real family and real dreams, and there was never a single thing that she ever did that could justify what was done to her, and now there will always be darkness for my family. And Elaine, Stephen's stepsister and rape victim, said that she still loves her brother, but to know your brother did something like this makes all of us suffer. My heart goes out to the Hempel family. If it was my daughter, I'd want Stephen to get what he got. 
And after his conviction, now this sounds too crazy to be true, but I read it in the Calgary Herald archives, and it says that in an interview with them, Stephen admitted to killing two other people and participating in a third, and that he demanded $50 and a carton of cigarettes to tell police where the bodies were, but the offer was rejected. But I couldn't find this article or interview um, that they referenced. No other murders have officially been tied to Stephen Burns, but I have an episode coming up uh, in the next few weeks about a possible Calgary serial killer, and his name comes up in a couple of cases as a maybe. Burns never really revealed why he had killed Deline, and Troy said later that he gave up trying to get the truth out of him um, and that he would just never really know why or if she suffered or what she really went through that fateful night. Spurned on by sexual rejection is the most likely motive. His story about the robbery and Deline knowing too much just doesn't jive with what witnesses saw and the state of her undress when she was found. Stephen had been transferred to the Kingston Penitentiary from Warkworth in 2005, 12 years to the day that Deline's body was found on April 9, 2005. His body was found in his cell from an apparent suicide. Deline said, tomorrow will be an easier day for me to look myself in the mirror and be joyous and truly free. Troy vowed he would never remarry, feeling he couldn't, he just couldn't live through the pain again and would be too overprotective of anyone. But he did find love again about 10 years after Deline's death and did in fact remarry and still tears up when he thinks of Deline. And that was the horrible murder of Deline Hempel. And I'm going to be back again next week with another case. I appreciate you listening. Um, you know what to do, rate, review, all that good stuff. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.